So this week, we're going back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. Um, We're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter because it's one continuous thought. Uh, However, today I'm only going to read through the end of 40 because... I just don't feel like reading the whole. Um, back when we were talking about Matthew 24, I pointed out repeatedly, I, I told you all that it was my opinion, based on my studies, that Jesus was talking about both the near-term destruction of Jerusalem and the long-term consummation of his kingdom through that uh, section there with uh, chapter 24. Um, here in chapter 25, there is no ambiguity. The opening words of uh, chapter 25, verse 31, tells us what Jesus is talking about. When he returns with his angels in all his glory. That's the final consummation of the kingdom right there. Um, What he says to the disciples is really, 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 really important. And um, it's not just important to the disciples, it's important to us. And... just in case y'all wonder, I don't plan this stuff out, okay? God does. Because what I talked about last week and what I talked about back at the end of September and what we're talking about this week, they all just kind of fold right together and and not on purpose, okay? Uh, I've told y'all before, I was having this discussion with Greg here a couple of weeks ago. He asked why I preach the way I do. Why chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse? It's because then I don't have the option of skipping stuff that I don't want to deal with, right? Also, is so that, and there are a lot of preachers who do this. I don't think they do it maliciously. I don't think they do it, um, I, I really don't think they do it on purpose even. But we have this habit of picking the things that we like. How, how many of y'all read your Bible at least once or twice a week? Okay? Most of the time. Some of the time? (laughs) Once or twice in the last 365 days. When we think about Scripture, we go back to thinking about the stuff that we're comfortable with or the verses that bring us comfort or joy or uh, maybe um, consolation in a time of sadness. Preachers do that too. So if a preacher preaches in a different manner than what I do, where I just go chapter by chapter, book by book, it would be very easy for them to fall into the trap of selecting passages that they're comfortable with or passages that fit stuff that's going on in the congregation, right? Because it's really easy to know a couple of families in the church that might be struggling with this, and I'm going to preach on that for a month. Well, what does that do to those couple of families? Right, they feel targeted and everybody else thinks, well, he's not talking to me, right? So instead, by going this way, I don't have a choice and God gets to be the one that targets people. (laughs) And apparently this is what he's done. Um, This passage should cause us to be in the business of the good work really should. So I'm going to ask and uh, 
listen to, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand the meaning of these words today. Help us to be moved not just to say that was a really good message, but to change the way we think and the way we act based on your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. So like I said, at the front end of this, Jesus says when he returns in glory with his angels, he's going to be seated on, seated on his throne. This is the consummation of the kingdom. This is, this is the end. This is uh, end game, if you will. And when Jesus returns, there's going to be judgment. Now, depending on your eschatological bent, that's which direction in the end times you follow, whether you are uh, premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, whether you are historical or dispensational, whether you're a full preterist, a partial preterist, or a futurist, uh, all of it, yeah, theologians actually make these distinctions. Depending on which camp you're in, the judgment that happens when Jesus comes back looks a little bit different because you're looking at it through a different lens. But most New Testament studies agree that there are going to be at least two judgments. Now, judgment number one is the judgment unto salvation or condemnation. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's going to come back, he's going to sit on his throne, and he's going to take all the people. How many of the people? All the people, right? And he's going to separate them, the sheep to the right, the goats to the left, okay? This is why I don't like being called an old goat. That was a joke. Check to see if you're awake. Okay. Um, Y'all failed. Peggy is the only one that's awake. <laughs> so... The, the sheep, the saved, are going to be placed to his right. The, the goats, the unsaved, are going to be placed to his left. Whether this is figurative language, I don't know. But this is the judgment this is talking about. The second judgment is going to be a judging of the saved. Back when we were looking through 2 Corinthians, we talked about this judgment where uh, Paul says that our works are going to be judged as though they pass through fire, Right? And the good stuff that we do is going to come through as gold, silver, and precious gems. And the not-so-good stuff, the idle talk, the uh, not necessarily evil and wickedness, but the things that are not necessarily profitable are going to be like wood, hay, and stubble. And wood, hay, and stubble do not survive a fire. 
they come out as ash. Right? So that's the second judgment. Our works are going to be judged. Um, Important. Because what is going to be judged? Our works. The stuff that we do. Okay. Hold on to that thought. So this judgment, uh, and, and oh, by the way, there's a good possibility that these two judgments happen at the same time. Okay, when we start talking about linear time, um, like we experience, right? Because that's how we live. We have a start, we have a stop. There's a line in between, right? If you don't believe me, go look at a tombstone. There's, you, born, died. There's a line in between. We, we do that because we think in linear time. When we start talking about the things that are going to happen when Jesus comes back, linear time right out the window. Because God lives in a place outside of time, and what he does in his time doesn't, my brain can't, the, 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 the tab A and slot B do not match, okay? So, Jesus here says that the nations are going to be gathered and he's going to separate the people one from another. I had somebody tell me today that, that they had read a study where this was judging of the nations. Because there are places where Jesus says that the nations will be judged based on their righteousness. You know, think about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Okay. Um, the problem I have with that is there are righteous people in every nation. There, there are Christians in Afghanistan and Pakistan and India, and they may be in a small minority, but they are there. So I, I don't see this, and then, you know, because I did just finish that Greek class, uh, I may have only finished it with a, a 71 or 72 for my GPA, but I finished it. The word here for, uh, uh, let me see, uh, he will separate the people one from another, the Greek word that is translated one from another, is talking about individuals. It's talking about individual people. So Jesus is is looking at each individual person, and he's making this distinction. This is a pretty easy picture for us to have in our minds. Now, pop quiz. Let's see how much y'all remember. Paul says we are saved in Ephesians 2, verse 8. We are saved by what? Through what? Okay, by grace through faith. Okay. And last week, we, we I, I, I hope you all understood that it's 100% God's process, right? Okay. We're saved by grace through faith. What is grace? Something we do not deserve. Grace is a gift, all right? Um, we have a bunch of gifts right here. Um, number one, we have no idea where these shoeboxes are going to go. None whatsoever. We have no idea who the child is that's going to get them. But there's going to be, in the case of this box, a young lady between the ages of five and nine years old who's going to get a gift. What did she do to deserve it? Nothing. It's That's grace, right? Don't confuse grace with mercy. What is mercy? Not getting what you do deserve. <laughs> uh, there's, if you're on Facebook, 
uh, there are a series of videos from Providence, Rhode Island, of this this old judge. He's like a, a town judge in Providence, right? He's an old guy, and he is phenomenal because he actually takes time to understand that the person standing in front of him is a person. Uh, and I was flipping through Facebook this morning, and there there was a, a, a Vietnam veteran who'd gotten a parking ticket because he was parked illegally to get to the VA for a medical appointment. And what a video to watch on Veterans Day, right? And, and the judge listens to him and says, okay, basically in a nutshell, number one, I don't know why our parking situation is so terrible. We need to fix that. And number two, um, you don't deserve the parking ticket. You're not getting the parking ticket. It's, it's gone. There's no fine because you are seeking medical treatment because you signed on the dotted line to sacrifice for your nation. And now we're trying to give you the medical care that you need. So, um, bye. Okay. That's, that's mercy. Cause the, the guy, <laughs> here's how the veterans put it out. He said, I'd like to make a statement. I want to plead guilty. He knew he was parked illegally, but it was the only place to park to get his medical appointment. And the judge said, no punishment. So that's mercy. Okay. We're saved by grace through faith. Okay. Now... What's the criteria that Jesus is using to separate the sheep from the goats? What? No, that's not what the passage says. If you keep reading, Jesus says, verse 35, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. What is Jesus? the distinction on works what they did jesus does not say you sheep over here are over here because my father chose you and and selected you for salvation and you over here are are not that's not what he says jesus says and and this is in context here this this there's a reason for this jesus says you're over here because of what you did. You're over here because of what you didn't do. Now, how does that fit with we are saved by grace through faith? On the surface, they, they, again, we, we have a disconnect, right? There's Because grace is getting something we deserve, and Jesus just said you're over here because of what you did. I see the gears working. I probably should have told pour some oil in your ears. Um, a lot of people have looked at this and said, see, Jesus tells us that, that our works matter in our salvation. If the message stood alone by itself, I would You're right. That's what it looks like. But um, what is the most important tool we have for understanding what Scripture means? Context. Context, context, context. Historical context. What was happening when Jesus said this? Geographical context. Where was Jesus when Jesus said this? Societal context. 
Who was Jesus talking to? What was their background? Linguistic context. What does it say in the Greek? As opposed to English. Literary context. What kind of book is this? All of these things are things that we have to understand in order to properly interpret Scripture, right? And then there's another one. How does this fit in the context of the other stuff that Jesus has taught? How does this fit in the context of the other things that the New Testament teaches? How does this fit in the context of Scripture from start to finish? This passage does not stand on its own. This is part of the narrative of Matthew's gospel. Jesus is at the end of three years of ministry. This is, this is the end of his ministry here on earth. He's been teaching the disciples for the three years, give or take, right? What the life of a disciple of Christ looks like. Who is he talking to right now? His disciples. He's still talking in that context. He's still talking about the context of the life of a disciple. We got this... Sometimes I really have a hard time with the way we think as the modern Western church. Because somewhere along the line, we got it wrong. What are we the most concerned with when it comes to the church? Numbers. Getting people in the church, right? Because the more people you have in the church the more likely they are to put something in the offering plate, which means we put the lights on, right? And, and these are legit, legitimate concerns. Yes, I would love to see this room full. But our emphasis has shifted from what Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28 about making disciples to this idea that our job is solely to go out and tell people the gospel and get them to come to church. That's part of it. There's a bigger part. Discipleship is what Jesus teaches in the Gospels. In fact, what we know of as the Gospel quotes that we use when we go out and we evangelize is not expressed till the book of Acts. It's described, right? Because how, how would you present the Gospel? Right? We have the Romans road, right? So you start off all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Excuse me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And then you have uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, right? And then we have uh, the, the, um, uh, well, we're still sinners. Christ died for us, right? So we don't have to, huh? Yes, it's 5-8. I'm not worried about references, um, which tells us that we don't have to clean ourselves up before Jesus did his part, right? And then we have uh, where it tells us that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, then we'll be saved, right? That's, that's a succinct picture of the gospel. You need salvation. Without it, you're going to hell. Jesus provided it without you doing anything. Here's how you obtain it. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, there are other ways to, to share the gospel. You can tell people that 
Everybody's a sinner, yes. Are you part of everybody? Okay, right? So that means you're a sinner, right? And uh, God wanted to save sinners, so he sent Jesus, his son, who lived a perfect life, right? And died a death that he didn't deserve in order to provide salvation for us. There's the gospel. I challenge you to find that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Succinctly put like that. It's not there. It shows up in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. Okay? The story in the Gospels is the life of discipleship. What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? Where does that discipleship come from? It comes from grace through faith. Jesus' message has been, from the beginning, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist was preaching that. And when Jesus started his ministry, he was preaching the same message. And when Jesus finished his ministry, he was preaching the same message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. If repent means to turn away from the path that you're on, okay, this, this, the word repent, the Greek word, I don't know it off the top of my head, means to turn around, okay? So, in good old military fashion, let's see if I can still pull one of these off, to turn around. Not on carpet. In fact, I started telling troops today not to even attempt it on carpet because so many of them fall over. I wish they'd have done that when I was in basic training. Um Anyhow, it means to turn around, about face, right? So if I'm walking down a path that I need to turn around from, Peter means when he uses it in Acts chapter 2, he says, repent and be baptized. You're walking down this path towards destruction, which would happen if I were to step off, right? Turn around. Now, is this repent? No. Repent means turn around this way. If this is sin and death and destruction, what's over here? Life and righteousness and, oh, God's way. Right? Repent. Stop living life for yourself. Start living as a disciple. The Gospels are all about the life of discipleship. And so at the end, Jesus is talking about what discipleship looks like. You remember when we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, the passage that I have called one of the scariest passages in all of Scripture. Jesus says, on that day, what day is he talking about? This day, the day of judgment, right? What's going to happen after he separates the sheep from the goats? There's going to be goats that come up. Say, Lord, Lord, we did everything. We did what you told us to do. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. One of the, the, the primary aspects of discipleship is the fact that it is entering into a voluntary relationship with the teacher. Right? 
a voluntary relationship. So is the is it possible to be a disciple of somebody that you have never met? No, you can be a student, but you cannot be a disciple because discipleship requires relationship. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, is he talking about head knowledge? No, this is Jesus, omniscient, second person of the Godhead. Okay, knows everything. Depart from me, I never knew you. No, that's not knowledge. That's this kind of know you. This is the euphemistic know you that we read when in Genesis where we read that Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Now, now Jesus isn't talking that he had that kind of relationship with these people. Let's, let's not go overboard. But it's that relational knowing of a person. Adam did not walk up to Eve in the garden and say, Hi, I'm Adam, and all of a sudden she conceived. Thank God. <laughs> we'd be real trouble if that was the case okay he had a relationship with her that's what the the marriage relationship is supposed to look like is a voluntary relationship where we get to know one another when jesus says to those who say lord lord i never knew you he's saying we did not have that relationship You might have done some of the right stuff, but you didn't do it because you were my disciple. You ever met somebody who doesn't swear, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke? That's not a Christian? Yeah. There's a lot of them out there. Right? Are they saved? No. You ever met people in church that aren't saved? If you don't nod your head yet, you you, you ought to. Okay, There are some who estimate up to 70% of the people who attend church are not saved. Think about that number. for That's why Matthew chapter 7 scares the tar out of me. Can you imagine 70% of the people in the church are not saved? Think about that. Now, we've got, uh, what? 16 this morning. It's easy to count because 13 of them are my kin. 14's close to it. Eventually. All right. 16 people. 70% of that. That means that five would be saved. Yeah, wrap your head around those numbers for a minute, okay? That's why that passage bothers me so much. Now, this is not the only place where Jesus talks about this. He talked about the parable of the weeds, right? The 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 landowner sends his servants out, they plant wheat in the field, and then overnight the enemy comes and plants tares in the field. And eventually the, the workers go out and they're taking care of, I don't know if they're weeding, um, I'm glad we never weeded any of our grain fields because that just, mm-mm, no, bad. I don't know what they were doing tending the field, but they were tending the field, and they came back in, they told the landowner, hey, boss, it looks like somebody planted weeds in the middle of the field. 
Do you want us to go pull them? No. Now, specifically, the weeds that are mentioned are tares. Tares look just like wheat until they mature. There is literally no way to tell them apart until they mature. So what would happen if, if the landowner had said, yeah, go pull all the tares? They'd have pulled the wheat too. So instead he said, no, wait till the harvest. Because when the harvest happens, the tares and the wheat are both going to be mature. And you can walk through the field and see which one's which. Easy enough, right? And this is an, an example of what the church is going to look like. It's going to be full of wheat and tares. Sheep and goats. You know, if, if you've got the right breed of goat. Got a I say at a distance, me anymore, it's like 20 feet, right? Because stinking astigmatism. Um, one of these days, nice eyeballs. Um, this is the problem that we have in the church is recognizing that there are folks who are sheep and there are folks who are goats. There are people who are wheat. There are people who are tares. Jesus told another parable of the, the, the fisherman. He goes out on, on the water. He throws his net out, pulls his net back in, right? What's he got in his net? He's got fish. It, it, I have never, I have not yet successfully caught fish down here on the coast. Okay. But I understand that there is a, a, a these little saltwater catfish, what do they call them, hardheads or, or whatever, Liam, is that it, hardhead catfish, croakers, whatever, the, the, the nasty little, right? They're a catfish. No, then it's something else, okay? They're a catfish. They're edible like freshwater catfish. But there's a lot of work involved to get a little bit of meat. Not only that, but they're a catfish, so you've got to be careful what they've been eating. Okay? Well, you pull in, a, you go out to go out to the, the, I don't know, by Treasure Bay, and you throw a cast net out. You may come back with 50 mullet and 30 of these little hardhead catfish. Fish that are good, you got fish that are bad. What do you do when you get the fish on shore? You have to separate them, right? You, it, Huh, what a novel idea. Sheep. Goats, mullet, catfish. Of course, some people tell you mullet go over here too, but this is another one of these cases where there is a definite separation between some from others. The parable of the talents that we looked at. How many servants were in the household? There were three. Two of them returned a profit. The third one did not. Why not? Because he acted off of a misconception about his property owner. He thought he knew what would please. He thought he knew. He thought he had that kind of relationship. These two guys here, they got the money and they went, bought, sold, and traded and brought back a profit. He buried it in the dirt. This again shows that there is a problem with ship. the weeds, the bad fish, the lazy servant, they think that they're 
church because they're part of the church. Just like the goats. There's another place here in in uh, Scripture where we can read this. Jesus is half-brother. wonder where he gets the idea from. If you go to uh, James chapter 2 and you start with verse 14, if you want to flip there, you can. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. Um, James, what good is it for a person to claim that they have work, uh, have faith? Let me ask you this question. How hard is it to say, I believe in Jesus? Not very hard at all. Okay, how about this? I believe in George Washington. Do I believe that George Washington is going to save me from eternal damnation? No. But I believe that there was a historical figure by the name of George Washington. Right? I believe in George Washington. What's the difference between believing in George Washington and believing in Jesus? Okay. Right? But you got people who fill the church who say, I believe in Jesus. In Jesus, the way we believe in George Washington. James says, what good is it for a person to claim to have faith? Show any works. You say faith by my works. Paul makes it salvations by grace alone through faith alone. But when we take what Jesus said, what James said, and what Paul said, we see that it is faith alone, but it's not a faith that is alone. It's a faith that causes something. It's a faith that causes a change in our lives. That change should be what drives us to do what God has commanded us to do. The work that Jesus taught his disciples to do. I can continue. I can go all the way back through the book of Matthew. I can go all the way through the book of Luke. I can go all the way through uh, the book of Mark. I can go all the way through the book of John, especially the book of John. And I can show you time and time and time and time and time and time and time again that Jesus is teaching the disciples are the principles of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Right? What are the two greatest commandments? Love God with everything you got and... Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Now, outside of some psychological conditions where people hate themselves, right? And I would I would hazard to say that even in those situations, they still love themselves, right? Because I'll bet you they still eat, right? And there are some cases of severe depression where they don't. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt, okay? They still live in a house or in a shelter of some variety. Even the even the homeless guy who lives out on the street because of extreme clinical depression gets himself shelter. He may seek shelter with the Salvation Army or, or a homeless shelter during the cold. He may sleep under a tree, right? Why? Because we seek shelter, comfort, because we care for ourselves. It's ingrained in us. Jesus says, love your neighbor that way. So back to Matthew 25, when he says, I was hungry, you gave me food. Thirsty, you gave me drink. Stranger, you welcomed me. Naked, you clothed me. Sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. He is acknowledging that the sheep 
lived a life, showed They did the stuff that comes out of a relationship with Christ, out of true discipleship. If you move to verse 41, which I didn't read, but it it basically reads the same way. He says to the ones on the left, depart from me because I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger. You didn't welcome me, so on and so forth, right? So what did their life lack? The works that are produced from a life of discipleship. Right? Let me, let me synopsize what he says. Apart from me, I never knew you. We didn't have a relationship. You didn't do the stuff that I expected you to do out of a relationship with me. If you want to know what these... If you really want to understand what the life of discipleship looks like in relation to these works, verse 37, I don't know how many this passage... I read it this week, hit, and it was like somebody pulled the emergency brake while I was driving down the highway. Okay? Look at verse 37. Jesus just got, here are the things that showed a life of discipleship. And the, the righteous people, okay? Now, there's, there's, presumably, there are still two groups of people here. They can see each other. There's probably family members on both sides, friends on both sides, acquaintances on both sides. There are people over here on this side who are heartbroken because of the people over there on that side. Jesus says, you guys did all the right stuff, and these people respond with what? When? When when did we do that? I don't remember doing that. Jesus, you made a mistake. Even the people that are saved are confused by Jesus' statement. I don't remember doing that stuff. Okay? Now, if you look at the people over here on the goat side, right? It's like verse 43 or 44. Jesus says, depart from me because you didn't do any of this stuff. Look at their answer. When didn't we do that stuff? In other words, over here they're saying, but we did all the stuff you wanted us to. The people that are righteous, that Jesus did all the right stuff, did it without realizing it because that wasn't their focus. Their focus was their relationship with Christ that caused them to do the stuff that he commanded them to do. They weren't doing it to earn reward. They weren't doing it to stay righteous. They weren't doing it to, to, to hold on to their salvation. They were doing it because that's what happens when your life is changed by Jesus. These folks over here were doing some of the right stuff. They're the ones in Matthew chapter 7. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, and we preached the gospel in your name, and we cast out demons in your name. Why? Because we wanted you to like us. We wanted to earn our way. We wanted to say we were righteous in front of you. We did it our way. Jesus says... uh, There's no faith. Jesus says, when we do this stuff for the least of the brothers, we've done it for him. Now, originally we planned on doing this street walk today. This is a step towards doing 
for the sake of this is another one of those things that the church in the United States has gotten backwards. So we come to a sanctuary, a safe place, right? If there is one nation on the face of the earth that should not have the name sanctuary for our worship centers, it is the United States. What do we need a sanctuary from? Okay, I'm talking about today. Yes, things are changing. Yes, there's there's plenty. But we sanctuary place. What do do in a safe place? Lazy. <laughs> they don't do what they're supposed to do. Not because we want more people to attend church. Yes, we want more people to attend church. That's not my motivation. Not even because I want to see more people get saved. Wrap your head around that for a minute. I'm not advocating this ministry because I want to see more people come to faith. I'm advocating this ministry because Jesus tells us to go to the poor, to the weak, to the orphan, to the widow. He tells us to love people. And quite frankly, most of the church in the United States is terrible at that. This is the point of James's letter. You say you have faith. My faith causes me to do something. We aren't saved by what we do. We're saved by grace through faith, and that faith pushes us. To walk. The, the, one of the last things that Jesus says in John's gospel, before he departs for the Garden of Gethsemane and, and he's betrayed and so on and so forth, one of the last things that he says is, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. What does he command us to do? Back up just bit before he says if you love me keep my commandments he, new commandment i give to you love one another holy cow it's almost like he knew what was happening right we need to be motivated by our love for christ and his love for us if we love him Keep his commandments. That's why we're trying to change what we've been doing for so long. Now, something was pointed out to me last week. I owe you all an apology. Because when I got on a roll, I rolled right off the edge of it without thinking my way through what I'd said. I handed out those commitment cards after asking you all to prayerfully consider committing to changing the direction of the church. And then I didn't give you an opportunity to pray. (laughs) 
It happens. I'm human. So since we're pushing the walk a week to next Sunday, this week I want you to pray. Um, it happens. I've lived in this world for too long. Um, I know all of you will deny it at this point, but I want you to make sure that that commitment you signed last week was a commitment to do what Jesus wants us to do. Not what the pastor says we have to do to keep the church open. Okay? This week, that needs to be your prayer.